Merry Christmas. You weren't expecting a traditional service, right? <laughs> uh, it's good to be up here. Before we begin, uh, just a little bit of old business. Uh, I'm assuming that a lot of us had the pleasure last uh, Sunday of uh, seeing our children's Christmas program and uh, loved that. Uh, it was an awesome, awesome thing. And I don't say that just because of how realistic the three wise men were. but <laughs> Or I think, as I've said to a few people, it looked a little more to me like three wise guys. <laughs> but the reason I wanted to bring that up was because... Uh, uh, Denise uh, did such a good job of thanking everybody that participated in that, but unfortunately, I think the one that didn't get enough recognition was Denise herself. And is, I don't think is she she's not here today, but so this is going to land a little flat. <laughs> but uh, please, when you see Denise next time, please just be sure to acknowledge her and tell her what a great job she did, because not just for that program, but for everything she does out here. She really is deserving of some credit. So I just wanted to throw that out there and uh, and then transition into what we have to say today. Uh, the first short teaching we're going to do is out of the book of Hebrews, the first chapter. This is printed in the back of our bulletin today. The Bible says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Hebrews 1, 1 1-4. Since the Garden of Eden, God has attempted to communicate with man. And throughout the Bible, throughout our recorded history, there's been all kinds of different ways that God has tried to communicate with us. He started off communicating with Adam and Eve directly, and he's, the Bible records other instances of God speaking directly to people. Uh, he's also communicating communicated through prophets. He's used them to carry his message. He's communicated through the angels. The word, the very word angel means messenger. Uh, he spoke through a burning bush, a talking donkey. Uh, God has communicated to us through nature. As one of my first teachers was fond of saying, he said, rightly divided and rightly understood, all of creation testifies of Jesus Christ. And he's written his story in the stars. Uh, God has communicated through kings. He's communicated to us through orchestrated events. Uh, he's communicated through the Bible, through the written word. Uh, he's even tried communicating through tablets of stone. In order to communicate anything, you really, it requires three simple things. What we need is we need to have a message.
message and a messenger. The Bible says that Christ is the Word, the Word incarnate. It doesn't do me any good if I'm going to communicate to you if I'm speaking in English and all you speak is Chinese. So in order to communicate, first of all, we need a common language. But instead of using the word word, I chose to use the word medium, first of all, because I knew Mike would appreciate the alliteration. (laughs) Everything starts with an M, Mike. Uh, But beyond that, in our modern society, I think the word medium is actually a more accurate term because we don't even need words or language to establish communication anymore. We have devices and, and computers and In order for those to link up and to transmit messages, we need interfaces and we need common code and we need things to be technologically set up in such a way that communication can happen. You know that all too well if you've ever brought home a new piece of software, a new uh, video game or some new app that you tried to plug into your computer and it didn't work. Well, it doesn't work until they have a common... Uh, computer language. So it's important to have a medium of communication. But beyond that, what we need is we need a message to communicate. It doesn't do any good to establish communication if you don't have anything to say. A lot of times, I'm sure visiting relatives, you... (laughs) you, I'm not even going to go there. (laughs) You know what I'm going to say. (laughs) And even if there's a message... It requires a messenger. It requires somebody to say things. Like, for instance, let's say that the message I have to say, the the means I choose to communicate it, I write somebody a letter. And then the medium becomes the post office. I put a stamp and an address on it, and I drop it in the mail, and then the messenger would be Terry or somebody like Terry. And I would put that message in the mailbox, and eventually... (laughs) that letter would get delivered. (laughs) And that's a simple example of how communication happened. But interestingly, when we study the Bible, what we find is that the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ was the medium. He was the message. And he is the messenger. He himself was all three. The Bible said, that Jesus is the Word, the Word incarnate. And he himself is the very means of communication because the way he communicated for God was he is God. And God put on flesh and came down directly as a direct means of communication, not just to tell us things, but to show us things through a living example. And not only is he the medium, he's also the message. Because what the Bible says is that he said one time that you study the scriptures because you believe in them, you will find eternal life. But they are that which speak of me. So the very message, the message he was trying to communicate, the Bible really is about Christ, the coming Savior, the coming Messiah. And he's also the messenger, because he's the one that showed up directly to communicate for God as God. 
interestingly, as you study this, there's an example that I was going to throw out here that I think kind of makes sense, at least to me, but uh, a great story. I love this. Uh, Charlie Chaplin was a very famous actor. He was known nationwide. He acted in silent films back in the 1920s. And he was very easy to recognize because he had a very distinctive look and he had a very distinctive walk and some very distinctive mannerisms. And as the story goes, one time Charlie Chaplin decided to enter a Charles Chaplin look-alike contest. Charlie Chaplin gave it, came in 20th. <laughs> but even if that story isn't true, it ought to be. But we can find a lot of other living examples of people who showed up as the real deal in the flesh and were missed. People didn't recognize them. For instance, we know that Dolly Parton once entered a Dolly Parton look-alike contest and came in dead a lot, a lot of people said she was too short. <laughs> There's another example of Hugh Jackman who played Wolverine in the X-Men series. And... One time he attended Comic-Con, so he put on his Wolverine outfit and he walked through Comic-Con. Only in that, if for those that don't know, it's a big event in California where a lot of people do role-playing, so everybody dresses up as their favorite characters. And so Hugh Jackman decides to walk through Comic-Con dressed as Wolverine. Only two people even acknowledged him. They didn't, neither, nobody recognized him. One of them looked him over and said, not bad. <laughs> Another person looked him over and said he was too tall. <laughs> uh, another example, Ernie Hudson was an actor who uh, portrayed a character in Ghostbusters. He played a character there. And later on, they did a video game, so he did the voices in the video game. And then after that, they decided to do an animated series for Ghostbusters. So naturally, Ernie Hudson goes in and auditions to provide the voice for this animated character. And as he's going through this audition, the guy on the other side goes, stops him and goes, no, 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 you're doing it all wrong. <laughs> he says, uh, Winston would have said it this way. <laughs> And Ernie Hudson's going, well, I am him. <laughs> I was the guy that was providing the voice in the original movie. <laughs> Completely missed him. Uh, another great example is in the movie Good Night and Good Luck. They pre-screened this movie to some audiences in order to gauge their reactions. And they got a lot of feedback on the character that played Joe McCarthy, who was a historical American history uh, uh, character out of the 1950s, I believe it was. So nobody liked the actor who played Joe McCarthy in this pre-screening of this movie, and they had comments like they said he was unconvincing, he was too over-the-top, too oafish. Uh, somebody said no one would believe anyone could be that much of an idiot. <laughs> what's, a, what's funny about that? is that there was not an actor playing Joe McCarthy in that movie. They used archive footage of the real Joe McCarthy. <laughs> so he was him playing himself, and nobody liked him because he wasn't playing him well enough. <laughs> uh, another example, uh, 
Paul McCartney uh, tells a story in some interviews where he plays the game, uh, I think it's called Rock Band. It's like Guitar Hero, and where you pretend to be rock stars. And Paul McCartney says he consistently loses playing this game Rock Band when he plays with his grandkids. <laughs> he, when he plays Beatles songs, he wrote those songs. <laughs> but yet he can't play them in the video games, playing with his kids. So those are all just some great examples of how easy it is to miss the real thing. And it kind of reminds me of the bad dating advice I used to get when I was younger, because uh, I know years ago I spent a lot of years being single and sometimes tortured by loneliness, and I would go to my female friends, and they'd give me this horrible advice. Like, they'd say things like, well, just be yourself. <laughs> I'm going, uh, I think that's the problem. <laughs> because myself happens to be this aging loser that chicks don't dig. <laughs> I was kind of hoping on getting some advice on how to be somebody else. <laughs> uh, they'd say things like, well... Just be the best you that you could be. And I'm thinking, well, that didn't really work for Charlie Chaplin, did it? <laughs> he was being himself and came in 20th. <laughs> so where I think that all of these people blew it, think, how could you miss the real deal? I think where they blew it was that the people that were making these judgments judgments, judging these events, or the people that were reaching these conclusions, had some preconceived notions of how these people ought to be. They had preconceived notions of if this was the real guy or the real, real lady, this is how they should speak, and this is how they should act, and these are the mannerisms they ought to have, and this is how tall or how short they ought to be, and these are the things they ought to say. And this is exactly why they missed Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. Interestingly, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, could not win a Jesus Christ look-alike contest 2,000 years ago. The Son of God, God incarnate, could not win a God look-alike contest 2,000 years ago. The reason was because it wasn't because nobody knew what to expect. It was exactly the opposite. They thought they knew exactly what to expect. There were hundreds and hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the coming Messiah. And they studied these. The, the Pharisee children memorized these things from the time they could walk. They knew all of these prophecies, but the problem was they formed these preconceived notions of what this was going to look like in the real world. And then when the real Jesus shows up, frequent flyer points, they missed him entirely. How did they miss it? They knew about him, but they didn't know him. In these contests and these chance encounters with these famous people, nobody that, the reason they didn't get it, they didn't understand these people were real, was because they never knew them personally. 
And you see, had they had a personal relationship with these people, they would have known them instantaneously. Hey, hey, Hugh, how you doing? You know, hey, Charlie, what are you doing here? But because they didn't know them, they only knew about them, they never made the accurate connection that they were the ones. And you know where Christ didn't make that connection with people? The main reason why they didn't think he was acting right, it was because, you ready for it? He was too nice. (laughs) He was too nice. He was too kind. He was too quick to forgive. He was too patient. He was too tolerant. He was too positive. He was too compassionate. And above all, he was too honest. Because if you believe that this guy claiming to be Jesus, claiming to be the Messiah, was all of these great things, you'd also have to conclude that he was honest. And if he was honest, he claimed to be the Son of God. And if you believed that, then you would have to believe everything else he said. And those that were fortunate enough to believe him came to know him. And so it remains to this day. Despite God's best attempts at communicating with mankind, his message often got lost in translation. He tried to influence or to guide people. People thought he was manipulative and controlling. He tried to establish fairness and justice. People thought he was punishing and heavy-handed. He tried to be forgiving and kind. People thought he was weak. He tried to be a generous provider. People thought he owed them everything. He tried to protect people from themselves. People thought he was a buzzkill. You see, the problem with a lot of God's best attempts at communication fall on deaf ears. It tells us in John 1, 17 and 18, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who was at the Father's side, has made him known. One of my favorite all-time movies, and it's especially apropos during the Christmas holidays, is a movie called It's a Wonderful Life. A lot of people familiar with that one? Okay, now I'm going to talk a little bit about what goes on in this movie, and I know that I'm supposed to say spoiler alert first. (laughs) But hey, this thing has been out since once, what, the late 1930s, early 1940s? If you haven't seen it yet, That's on you. (laughs) This thing is in the public domain, so I don't want to ruin it, but, hey, you had your chance. (laughs) So what I love about this movie is that it comes at 
something from an entirely backwards angle. And as you know, that's kind of how I tend to see things from the back or the top or upside down or inside out. And maybe that's why this movie appeals to me so much. But in, basically, this movie is the story of a guy who's very unhappy with his life, a man named George Bailey. And George was a guy who was hyper-responsible, who always did the right thing, despite not feeling like doing it or despite not being happy about it. He always ended up doing what other people needed him to do. And as a result, his own dreams never seemed to come true. And so in, in desperation, George early in the movie, decides that he doesn't want to go on anymore, so he chooses to commit suicide. He goes and he jumps off a bridge. Well, God likes George. And God takes pity on him, so he sends an angel to rescue George from himself. And he gives George one wish, and George, in his desperate state, decides to to use that wish. He says, I wish I had never been born. Done. The angel uses his power to orchestrate exactly that. Okay, George, you've never been born. And then they walk back into the little town that George had been born and raised in, the village that he had spent his whole life in. And as he goes back, he notices everything, every single facet of that town is out of whack. The people, it's the same people, but they act different, and they, they are different. And some people aren't even there anymore. Some people had died that were alive, and, and other people were alive that were dead, and everything is different. But the whole town had been influenced by George's arch rival, who was a very uh, bad man, I think a banker in the town, and he just... You know, his thing was all about getting rich and manipulating people and taking advantage of them. And George Bailey was the guy that was the buffer in the town that always kept that old curmudgeon from getting his way. And when George was removed, that guy had the run of the place. And so, therefore, there were a lot of people that were a lot poorer, that didn't have the opportunities that were provided because of George Bailey. And... Like one of the parts that always, you know, would choke me up if I was a little less manly (laughs) was early in his life, George Bailey had saved, I think it was his younger brother, if I remember right, he saved his younger brother from drowning. It was a single event and kind of life went on and not a big deal. And years later, he always ended up living in the shadow of his little brother because his little brother went on to travel the world and do great things. His brother was a war hero, and at the pinnacle of his military career, there was an enemy plane flying in during the war that was going to bomb this huge ship full of sailors. And at the last minute, George's brother swoops in in his airplane and shoots this enemy out of the sky, and he saved the lives of everybody on this ship. And this story of his heroism and this great act were published in all the newspapers throughout the country, and everybody knew George's brother and what a hero he is. So George makes mention of this to the angel that was accompanying, accompanying him through this adventure, and he mentions how his brother was this great hero and saved all these lives. And, and the, uh, the angel says, George, he says, 
all the men on that ship died. He says, your brother was not there to save them because you weren't there to save your brother. And it started to dawn on George that he was an indirect participant in a lot of great things without ever knowing it. And through the course of this story, by looking at his life from the angle of how different would it be for everybody else had I not been born, had I not lived, had I not made the decisions I did that ended up positively influencing other people in ways that I never even thought about, ways that George himself never would have connected the dots back to. And at the end of the movie, George has to conclude that he has had a wonderful life. And somebody makes the comment, here's to George Bailey, the richest man in town. It's sentimental. It's sappy, but it's a great story. And if we take that angle and look at the life of Christ, here's a guy who should have been somewhat insignificant. We're talking over 2,000 years ago. One guy, and he only lived for 33 years. And during that time, he only connected with people in a small region. He said some things, he did some things, he healed a few people, he helped a few people. But that should have been the end of it, right? But because he did not stay dead, because he walked out of that grave, because he was not just some guy, some carpenter from 2,000 years ago, but because he was God incarnate, God in the flesh, He has impacted everything about this entire world ever since. Were it not for Christ 2,000 years ago, for one thing, we wouldn't even know what year it is. Because we mark time itself by Latin terms, uh, abbreviated B.C. and A.D. Those originate in before and after Christ. So, We wouldn't even have the calendars we have now. Uh, Without Christ, there would be no saints. Without saints, you wouldn't have St. Nicholas. You wouldn't have Christmas. You wouldn't have uh, no St. Patrick. So there goes St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) Downer for the Irish here. Sorry, dudes. Uh, If you're an animal lover, no St. Bernard's. It would also be a bummer if you happen to live in St. Louis, St. Paul, Minnesota, or St. Petersburg, Florida. You'd be homeless. <laughs> cities would not exist, or at least you wouldn't know where you lived. Uh, so, but without Christ, there would be not, we wouldn't have the education we have today. Uh, in the United States, all but one of the first 123 colleges in colonial America were Christian colleges. So Christianity heavily influenced education in our country and worldwide. Without Christ, there would be no Yale. There'd be no Harvard or, you know, you're from out, out east, Harvard. <laughs> How's that? There'd be no Harvard. There'd be no uh, Princeton 
no Dartmouth, no Oxford University, uh, even locally, no Augustana College. None of our colleges would be here. Those all started out as Christian colleges. Uh, we wouldn't see the changes in the positive benefits in health care. Both of our local hospitals, uh, Avira McKinnon and uh, another one, <laughs> Sanford. <laughs> Okay, that wasn't a slam. I'm just really forgetful under pressure. <laughs> but the two hospitals, there was a Catholic and a Protestant hospital in Sioux Falls and all the benefits in health care. And, you know, all trace their roots back to Jesus Christ. Uh, women's rights. Before Christ, uh, women had no rights. They had no property. If you were a widow, they would force you to remarry so you didn't become a burden on the government. You would, you didn't have property rights. So if your husband died, they'd take all your stuff. So you couldn't even survive. And because of Christianity, women gained tremendous rights. They were treated as equals in the early church. They were given a purpose and authority that they never enjoyed before. Uh, they weren't just property. They were treated as equals. Uh, without Christianity, there wouldn't be the value to children. It's brutal to this day how children are treated in a lot of countries. But children were given rights, even the right to be born because of Christianity. Uh, it was slavery uh, that was done away with because of Christian causes. We got rid of gladiators, cannibalism, the, local, the missionaries helped to uh, eliminate a lot of that. Uh, without uh, Christianity, the Bible, the New Testament, is the foundation of a work ethic and free enterprise, the foundation of government worldwide. We wouldn't even have a United States of America had our founding fathers not fled Europe and religious oppression and had they not had Christian principles and values as the foundation of our Constitution. Uh, contributions to art, music, literature, how inspired people have been to create these things. Beautiful works of art that never would have come into, into being. Uh, charity, the Salvation Army, Trillions of dollars spent on charity, social programs, all motivated by Jesus Christ and his values and principles. Uh, and on and on. I mean, you can't even begin to get your hands around the impact. But you see, the last piece of this is that one of the reasons why Christ continues living to this day and continuing to make these positive changes worldwide is not just because God came in the flesh 2,000 years ago, but he continues to come in the flesh to this day. The mystery of the gospel, the message of Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's a story from 2,000 years ago of God incarnate coming to be born as a little baby, as a child, in the filth and the depravity and the darkness of a, of a uh, stable. But it's also true that he chooses to come and move into our bodies with the darkness and the depravity of a human heart to come to be born inside of every one of us because 
What is the very definition of a Christian? Like Christ himself, somebody with a human body and a divine spirit. So one of the main reasons why Christ keeps moving forward to this day, it's not just because he was in his body, but he is in yours and yours and yours and yours and yours and yours and yours. Christ in you. And that's why the foundational principles of our simple ministry here at Hope is because of Christ, the bar is behind us. Because of Christ, heaven is in front of us. Because of man, there's a lost world around us. Because of Christ, the devil is beneath us. And here's the biggie. Because of Christ and his spirit that he sent back after his death to us, Jesus is inside of us. And that, I think, is the enduring message of Christmas. Christ in you and you and you, the hope of glory and the light of the world, which in broadcasting is a great uh, segue, I think that's called. (laughs) Spence and Sheila Kittleson have been kind enough to grab me before the service. And just as a little example of truly the light of the world, they've been kind enough to uh, secure a bunch of these cool flashlights that they're going to hand out to the grown-ups as they leave the services. And, and as, we, as we use these things, we can just remind ourselves that Jesus Christ truly is the light of the world, and he continues to be to this day. In prayer, how ironic that, uh, Lord, instead of, uh, it's your birthday, but we don't bring gifts to you. You give gifts to us. And our prayer today in closing this is a very simple one. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Merry Christmas.